0: Welcome to a further installment on the Sermon on the Mount. And as I've studied and continued to study this and just looking at the topics over the next couple weeks and even considering the topic from last week, um, as we work through the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is going to expose us as we come to the Scripture and as we look at the mirror of the Scripture, we have to be real with ourselves and real before God, that as we come to this text, and the text not just tonight, but um, over the next coming weeks and even as we what we've considered already, that the Scripture exposes us and exposes our hearts and exposes our need for God's grace. And so even as we come here tonight, And we deal with perhaps a very difficult topic that may he give us the insight that we need and open our hearts to receive his word. And even as we deal with this topic tonight that is primarily addressed to men, there are principles that Jesus teaches us tonight that can apply to any kind of sin in our lives, any kind of difficulty, any kind of heart issue before God. And so let's, why don't you turn with me in the scripture, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 27 to 30. If there's time, we'll deal with the next two, but we may just get that far tonight. Verse 27 to 30. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body, then for your whole body to go into hell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of worship tonight. Thank you for the real sense of the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. Thank you for the words of Jesus here. Thank you that we can come tonight once again and sit at the feet of the Master. Thank you that we can come to the Word that divides the bone and the marrow that pierces the inward parts of our hearts tonight. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll speak to our hearts tonight, that you'll grant us understanding, not just for those who are here, but those who will perhaps even listen to this a little bit later on. our oh, gracious Father, you had a heart for the people listening through Jesus. And pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. And this difficult topic, as we address it, it would become a time of great blessing as we reflect on this, Lord. And so we come at these moments to the glory and to the honor of your name. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to introduce tonight's topic by just putting up this phrase on the next slide here tonight. Under grace, so do we keep on sinning? Because I think we need to get a hand on this. As we dealt with last week's topic with regards to anger, and if you remember that Jesus said, well, you know, you've heard that it said, well, do not murder somebody. And then he goes on and he explains, well, even if you're holding anger in your heart, it's as if you have murdered somebody, you're equally guilty before God as if you had murdered somebody. That's, that's really hard-hitting, isn't it? And as we go through these different topics, we're going to see and we're going to understand that all of us, in, in one way or another, will stand before God guilty, and as Jesus says, worthy to be thrown into the pit of hell. Now, it's a very difficult thing for us to understand, but praise be to God, because through Jesus's grace... That we stand under grace. That even though he says these hard words, without Christ, that is the punishment. But if you and I are in Christ, we've received his grace and we've received redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Even if we've been guilty of some of the things that Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's a wonderful place to be. But when we consider that, when we consider the fact that when we look at these different things, that we sit under grace, we need to ask ourselves the question and go back to that whole topic that David dealt with a few weeks ago so wonderfully, that Jesus has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That as believers, we still need to be obedient to the law. We still need to sit under the law. We still need to walk with God. The law exposes our unrighteousness and our need for God's saving grace. We are ill or guilty, Romans three twenty three, For all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a scripture that we know so well, don't we? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. will not you turn with me in just a couple of scriptures as we introduce this and move into our text this evening. But 1 John 3. It says this with regard to there's a the danger that sometimes if we think that we are under grace, that it doesn't matter what we do. And many Christians have got into the wrong thinking with regard to that. But the Bible makes it very clear. and says here in 1 John 3, 6, says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God This is how we know who are children of God and who are the children the devil are. Anyone who does does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Very powerful, hard-hitting passage, isn't it? Really powerful and hard-hitting when we consider some of these things. Friends, the message there is if we continue to live in deliberate sin, we need to ask the question, is God really living in us? Have we been changed? Have we been redeemed? Have we been saved by His grace? Because if God's seed in us is in us, then we're going to be concerned about our sin. We're going to be worried about some of the things that we are reading about in the text tonight. If you're concerned and you're worried about some of the things and you wonder if you're guilty in some of these things, then praise the Lord for that because that's a good sign. It means that God's seed is in you if you are concerned about following Him and walking in obedience to Him. You'll turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 2. No, sorry. Verse 1, the writer has just written about life through Christ and the wonder of righteousness and justification and all those wonderful theological things that we speak about. And, and then he says, what shall we say? He must have known that people were thinking this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? so that God's grace may be made more known in my life. If I continue sinning and doing the wrong things, and Paul says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so for you and I, as we come and we approach these wonderful teachings of Jesus and we sit at the feet of the Master and we unpack these things, We need to understand where we are. Under grace, do we keep on sinning? No, by no means. Just because we are under grace, it doesn't mean that these things we don't need to take seriously and examine our own hearts. And so even over the next couple of weeks, as we look at some of the things, and even as you've been thinking about last week's message, may God's word continue to challenge us and to speak to our hearts that we would honor him with all of our lives. Jesus says in verse 27 You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And once again, we come to the problem of the misinterpretation of the law. And going back. Jesus did not come to abolish the Lord, but to fulfill it. And the Pharisees, what they had taken out of the law, they had taken these, these commandments, and they'd looked only at the physical outworking of the commandment and not at the heart of the commandment. They did not look at why, what causes this, and what is the reason why God would give us this. They just took an outward measure and said, well, okay, if I stick to that outward measure, then I'm okay. If I've not committed murder, then I'm okay. I might be angry with somebody. I might have called somebody names. I might be so livid with somebody that I could do something bad to them. But I haven't done it, so I'm okay. Jesus comes with the commands and he unpacks them and says, It's not just about the outward act. It's about what's taking place within your hearts. And here we have it again as we come to this message on adultery. You see the Pharisees had made it like this. Well, it doesn't matter what's taking place in my mind, it doesn't matter what's taking place through my eyes. It doesn't matter what's taking place in my eye in my heart. The law says, do not commit adultery. So if I have not physically committed adultery, then I'm okay. And I can continue doing what takes place in my thought life and continue doing what takes place through just simply looking with my, my eyes or whatever it is and continue because I haven't stepped over that line. And Jesus says, no, that's not what the law means. In the last command, I think that most societies would find that it is not acceptable at all to kill somebody. But the world in which we find ourselves is teaching us that even on occasions that adultery is okay. Jesus says, No. One person said this, when it comes to what Jesus says about adultery here, external respectability or reputation is no guarantee against internal impropriety. In other words, somebody may not have physically committed adultery, but it may have already taken place within their heart, may even continue to take place. Jesus says this when it comes to this command. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And here's this general principle that sin starts in the heart. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 15 as Jesus deals with this very clearly. I'm going to read the whole portion here, because the Pharisees came to try and trick Jesus, and, and not just with regard to adultery, but on a whole range of levels, does Jesus speak about and helps us to understand that sin begins in the heart. So chapter 15 of Matthew, and it says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do you Your disciples break the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his mother, father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God. In other words, what the Pharisees were doing in terms of their command to honor their mother and father, instead of honoring their mother and father, they would say, okay, well, you can't have that mom and dad because I've given it to God. So therefore, um, I don't need to honor you in this way. I'm, I'm finding a way around it. And Jesus says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And Isaiah says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus deals here on so many levels. He deals with the ceremonial code. Whatever goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Of course they were, because Jesus was in effect telling them that they can eat pork. He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter says, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. On those powerful words of Jesus, Jesus tells us exactly, and he tells the Pharisees and he tells his disciples, this this is what makes you unclean. It's not. The outward evidence is what's taking place within your heart. This is what you need to be aware of. This is what you need to be concerned about. James 1 verse 13 onwards to 16 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil Nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away, enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do you see the scripture says it starts not from the outward act. It starts from the heart and the real issue is the heart. Last week, the real issue was the anger that starts in our hearts that ultimately leads to murder. But even just having anger and built up and fed and nourished anger in our hearts is the equivalent and we are just as guilty of murder or before God in terms of that sin. Kenneth West gives a, a really helpful literal translation of the Greek. And this is what he says. Is he unpacks it word by word, and then he gives a summary of, of this in terms of this verse, 28. But as for myself, Jesus says, I am saying to you, Everyone who's looking at a woman in order to indulge, do you see, there's an important word here, to indulge his sexual passion for her, already has committed adultery with her in his heart. Something happens within the heart, and here is somebody who's feeding the sinfulness of his own heart. And even though it might not be expressed outwardly, but there's something already that's taken place within our hearts. And this sin and many other sins as well. So there's application for all of us here. And then it, as we look through Scripture and we understand what was happening in the Old Testament with God's people. And the way that God was dealing with sin in the Old Testament. if You, um, you don't have to look this up, but I'll read it to you. Numbers 15 verse 39. As God told His people to to have garments with tassels on them, with a blue cord. And he says this, you will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute, in other words, give give themselves over to sin, in every kind of way, that you will not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts, and... He has another example, and there's many others. Ezekiel 6 verse 9 says, Then in the nations when they have been carried captive, those who escape will remember me, How, how I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. So friends, tonight these are hard-hitting verses, aren't they? But what we do need to understand, what Jesus wanted us here is to understand with all these things, is that whatever sin, whether it's murder, whether it's adultery, whether it's it's various other things, that it really starts in our hearts. And if we want to come to terms, with it, we want to deal with sin in our hearts, we need to go back to the right place. Because if we Just make it about the outward actions as religion and as tradition does. We are always going to find ourselves guilty. In fact, it doesn't matter what you and I try and do. Without God's help and without God's grace, we are always going to be guilty before God. But we need to keep on pushing forward and need to walk in obedience and in faith and ask God to help us to deal with these things. And how many won't let go of those small corners of the heart? How many have deceived themselves even in our day and age, thinking, well, I haven't outwardly done that. I haven't stepped over the mark. And we make a, an imaginary mark in the sand and said, okay, well, it's okay because I haven't stepped over that mark I haven't done this, I haven't physically gone and done that, so I'm okay, and I can continue to indulge as long as I don't step over the mark. And Jesus is saying in this particular instance to men, no, if it's taking place in your heart, you've already stepped over the mark, and you're guilty. It's hard hitting, isn't it? What Jesus says next is, I think it's really helpful, and we need to understand it. He says, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, why why was Jesus saying, is is he literally saying that we should gouge our eyes out? Not necessarily so. Okay, so in Jesus' day, You'll notice that in both cases, it's the right-hand side one. And in Jesus' day, the right-hand side, the right hand, and the right eye was of considerable more importance than the left eye and the left hand for some customary and physical reasons from that day. You can look into that in your own time if you'd like to find out why. But the right eye and the right hand was more important. And so Jesus addresses them and says, well, if you want to deal with this then you need to take the things that are really and if the things that are really important in your life are the things that are causing you to sin then you need to deal with them. You need to sort them out. Is the point that Jesus is trying to make even if it's your right hand even if it's your eye your right eye that causes you to sin then deal with it. If the most precious thing that you have is the cause of sin, get rid of it. And not just adultery, there's a principle here for any other kind of sin. If we have something in our life that is so precious and is causing us to sin, then we need to get rid of it. As a young man, I had a beautiful motorcycle. And the only times I think about this motorcycle is when I need to illustrate what God had to do with me in my own heart. Because sometimes these things can become idols and can become important. I was a believer. I was about to go to Seminary. It was in the year before Michelle and I got married that I needed to deal with this thing. And this thing was too important. And God dealt with me and I needed to surrender it. I praise the Lord it paid for our honeymoon. It was fantastic, and I don't long after it. But you know, God had to deal with that, and so it can be. This can be worked out in a, a variety of ways. I was in the danger of spending too much time and too much money and too much focus on this, and and being drawn away from my focus on who. On God in my life. I'm not saying that having the most cycles is wrong or an interest in something like that. It's good and it can be healthy. At that point in my life, it wasn't healthy and I needed to deal with it. And men tonight, Jesus gets really real with men, doesn't he? It gets down to some of the hard issues. And perhaps in one of the greatest areas of secret sin within the church as a whole can be this area. Because nobody sees it. And men feel, well, I haven't crossed the line, so I can indulge this. But what takes place in the danger, and every man is always going to be tempted in one way or another. This is reality, and the way that we deal with it makes all the difference. And we need to understand that it starts within our hearts. We need to understand that there's a connection between our hearts and our eyes. And we need to understand that as men, we must not feed this thing. And not take outside of the boundaries that God has ordained in marriage between a husband, a man, and a woman as God has ordained it, and something that is precious, and the dangers that the world speaks about, that we need to take this outside. It's okay to take outside of it. It's okay to pervert marriage, and we could teach a whole lot on that, and there's a lot of contemporary issues with regard to that. But men, we need to understand the sinfulness and the danger and the inclination of our own hearts. And when Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin. For as men, if we find that we are prone in a certain area of our lives, we need to deal with it. And we need to find a way to not go down that road. This is a wonderful illustration I might have shared with a few of you at some point. I remember Kenny, our youth leader, when I was a teenager, and he shared this story. And maybe for teenagers, I want to, boys in particular, I want to tell you that if you see something with your eyes, you cannot undo it. It will always be there. Be careful little eyes. What you see is that little Sunday school song. It's so, so important. Don't fall into the trap of seeing stuff because it will affect you for the rest of your life. Even if you repent and come to Christ and make it right, it's still there in your mind. Is the man who was a wealthy man who had a beautiful Rolls-Royce motor car. And he never drove himself and he always had a chauffeur and he needed to employ a new chauffeur. And so he advertised the job and he had chaps come along to, to go for a test drive. Several men came along and they got behind this big magnificent motor car and they got behind the wheel and they wanted to demonstrate their skill and so they went along this mountain pass road was part of the test track. And they took this motor car as close as possible to the edge of the road. And the, the tires were squealing and the car was rolling and they showed their skill in keeping this big, massive motor car on the road and the skill that they had of controlling the power and the weight of this thing. And each of them felt really impressed with the job that they had done after that. None of them got the job. There was one man who ever took the gentleman in the car and went along the same mountain pass road. But you know, he didn't speed. He kept well within the lines. He didn't go to the edge of the line. He kept well within the lines. He was gentle. He looked after the motor car. He backed off when needed. He didn't push the brakes to the maximum. And he's the one who got the job. And men, it's like this for you and I. We are always going to be tempted to go to the very edge of the road, and the world is going to push us always to the very edge of the road by what we see and what we hear. And we need to be so careful. We need to understand that our, this is something that starts within our hearts, and it just starts a little bit at a time. We think we can go closer and closer to the edge of the roads, to the point that we become guilty of what Jesus says. That if anyone has looked after a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. And Jesus says, deal with it. If something causes you to sin, friends, if it's something on our phone and our time on our phones, it's so easy to find stuff. It's so easy for accidentally for a video to pop up that is explicit. And that sticks in our minds. Friends, if you're struggling with stuff on your phone, I'm not saying that anybody here tonight is. I'm just going to give you some examples of what what we can do in our lives to protect ourselves and even for young men. Make sure that there's, there's some kind of controls on our devices, some kind of controls that we can be accountable to what we watch. There's wonderful Christian apps that we can get and that a family can, or a spouse and a husband and wife or a group of men can get together and, and just be accountable to one another as to, to what they are doing on these things. If it's the row that we walk down in the bookshop, that may be a temptation. If there's some time when we go to the gym and there's, we need to make sure that our eyes are not seeing things that tempt us, that maybe we need to change the time that we go, Perhaps as some practical examples. I dream of men getting together, and I pray that the men would get together and just to talk about men's stuff and the struggles that we have, because sometimes we are islands on our own, and we think that nobody else is going through things. And this is so important, that we protect ourselves and continue to strengthen ourselves in these areas. Jesus says this again, as he did on the previous section. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. You see, we all can be guilty, even of this. Even if we haven't crossed the line, if we really search our hearts tonight, we may find that we're guilty in one way or another. We may be guilty of anger. We may be guilty of this. We may be guilty of something else, and Jesus, I believe, is is teaching a principle in each one of these things that is applicable to all of us. You might say, "Well, I'm never guilty of this." I want to maybe just. I think it'll be more appropriate to deal with divorce and oaths perhaps another time. But I want to just close off. One of the great heroes of our faith in modern times is uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Great guy. Theologically spot on. Intellectual, wonderful man of God. But this is what he says on this issue. And I think we'll find this humbling and sobering. We must listen to the teaching of the blessed Son of God and examine ourselves. Examine our thoughts, our desires, and our imagination. He says we must. He doesn't say man or men. Or you must. He says we must. And unless we feel that we are vile and foul and need to be washed and cleansed, unless we feel utterly helpless with the terrible poverty of spirit, and unless we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I say, God, have mercy on us. Isn't that so powerful? If Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones needed to say that, and included himself in that, he says after this, though, I thank God that I have a gospel which tells me that another who is spotless and pure and utterly holy has taken my sin. He has given me his own nature And when I realized that I needed a new heart, I found, thank God, that He had come to give it to me, and He has given it. Isn't that so powerful? May God, by His grace, for all of us in regard to the sin that the Scriptures exposes, but maybe for men tonight, may God, by His grace, protect us and lead us and guide us and help us to examine our own hearts for young men, the young generations who've probably been exposed more to anything else than than for generations and thousands of years. I'm not so sure that there's anything new apart from just the way it's it's become available. May God protect our young men. May God protect us. May God tonight even... Expose our own hearts before Him. That maybe we need to stay in a place of repentance. We need to stay in a place of dependence. We need to stay in a place of awareness. We need to stay in a place of, of being accountable. Of walking with Jesus on this really, really difficult, difficult and sometimes awful topic. It's, it's not a topic that we want to talk about. I want to suggest that sometimes men need to get together. And I pray that this, this, this will happen, that we can just, is there somebody, Jen, tonight? Is there somebody close enough for you to say, you know what, I'm struggling, that you can reach out to him and is totally in confidence. And you can say, just pray for me. I'm having a battle. It's okay to say that to somebody who's close to you. Just pray for me. You don't have to tell them the details. Don't tell them the details. But is there somebody that you can just say, just pray for me that I can win this battle? If you've battled before, be sure the battle will come again. Because our enemy is like a prowling lion. We need not be naive, but be aware. May God, by His grace, there's a wonderful old hymn in the Baptist hymn book that I grew up. And the words go, rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. May that be our prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the words tonight that are so powerful, that are so challenging, that opens and exposes us to vulnerability that we don't always like to be at. And so, gracious Father, tonight for all of us sitting here, we know that we fall short of your glory. We know that we constantly are challenged, as Paul speaks about in Romans 7. He does the things he does not want to do, and the things he does not want to do he finds himself doing and says, cries out at the end of the chapter, what a wretched man am I who will save me? We say tonight, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, may you keep us all, and in particular for men on this particular issue tonight, may you keep us all in a place of dependence. May you keep us all in a place that we are aware of our eyes and our hearts. May you keep us humble and pure. Give us a fear, a holy fear of what we see and what we hear and what we even think about. Captivate our thoughts. Take control of our eyes to the glory and to the honor of your name. Or, There we can say, rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen just for us to contemplate and just to remain in an attitude of prayer. Let's asked David if they can come and just play through and, and sing that second last song that we had sung. Speaking about how God knows our own hearts. We can't hide from Him. Let's just meditate on the words of this worship God. Come before Him. Express yourself before Him. Not... Just in these moments, but in the moments to come and the rest of the evening, contemplate his words to us tonight.